the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. You're done with that one. Now you just have to wait till the weddings. <laughs> I think I can get some breathing space before the when's your bar mitzvah? Uh, ours isn't until January of 2024. Yeah, that sounds about right. Well, we've got yeah. some time. I love just turned 13, and uh, it's Martin Luther King Day weekend. So, three day weekend, a little bit easier for family to come out. That'll be nice. Any Hanukkah plans for you? Are you traveling anywhere? I was supposed to travel tomorrow. I literally just got a text that they canceled my flight. Oh, no. Um, yeah. Where are you traveling to? Um, I've got some big travel coming up. I'm going to Baltimore. I was going to Baltimore for the week. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. Then I come back to Florida, and then I go to Israel, and then Hungary, and then Zurich, and then Italy. So... Oh my gosh, you are, you're like a world traveler. Hi, Rabbi Wolpe. Hello again. It's good to talk to you this time. I'm sorry there were so many miscommunications before. Sorry, I'm sure that all of them were none of our faults. <laughs> no, it's happily, no one's fault. It's it all my fault, or it's none of it. I will not take responsibility, but welcome here. Uh, it's a pleasure to see you again. Uh, you were a teacher of mine briefly when I was over at Ziegler. You taught in the homiletics class, and I was your student for a brief period. Yeah. So it's wonderful seeing you again. Thank you. I've been to Sinai Temple on occasion, too, and seen you preach there and teach. So this is wonderful to have you on. As Thank a you. I appreciate uh, it. This is uh, my friend and co-host, Sheva. Nice Hi. to meet you. Nice to meet you. Where are you, Sheva? I'm right now in Boca Raton, Florida. You Got may it. have heard of it. And now where are you? I'm in Pasadena. So we're all in warm climates. Exactly. Got it. For now. For now. So for Old friend is coming. I'm headed to Jersey tomorrow. So. <laughs> uh, Are so, you ready? Where in New Jersey? Uh, Teaneck. My uh, my family's out there. My sister and brother. Check your flights. Things no, are getting canceled. No, it's getting scary. I used to live in Hackensack, so I used to live right nearby. Oh, I see. Okay, so the area is familiar to you. Lovely. Yeah, I, well, I grew up in Philadelphia also. So. Right. Yes. You're right. Anyway, okay. Uh, why don't we jump on. right don't in? Yeah. Um, so why don't I read your bio, share it with everyone, and then we'll jump right into the conversation. Obviously, um, the letter that your ex-wife Aileen uh, wrote to a friend. Eileen, excuse me. Eileen wrote to a friend who had inquired about divorce, uh, which you later on published, I think, in the Washington Post. Um, that's been a, a source of comfort for me, and I wanted to discuss that a little bit as well, as well as your perspective on divorce from the professional side. Um, you've had an amazing perch, and um, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on the subject and how we sure. respond to it. Um, but let's read, your, uh, let's read your bio. Rabbi David Wolpe is the Max Webb Senior Rabbi of Sinai Temple in Los Angeles. He's author of eight books, including the national bestseller, Making Loss Matter, Creating Meaning in Difficult Times. Wolpe has been named the most influential rabbi in America by Newsweek and twice named among the 50 most influential Angelinos by LA Magazine. He has taught at a number of universities, including UCLA, Hunter College, Pepperdine, and the Jewish Theological Seminary, and written for the New York Times, Washington Post, The Atlantic, The Jerusalem Post, among other newspapers and journals. 
Rabbi Wolpe's most recent book, David, the Divided Heart, a biography of King David, was optioned for a movie by Warner Brothers. And next year, he'll be a visiting scholar at Harvard Divinity School. Rabbi Wolpe, again, it's a real honor uh, for you to spend some time with us and talking about divorce in the Jewish community and in our own personal lives. Um, I, I wonder, would you mind sharing how divorce has played a role in your life? <laughs> um, the, easy, the easy way to put that is I'm divorced. Um, so that's the role it has played. Uh, I, I mean, I grew up in a, in a family where divorce was unknown and unheard of. Um, that my parents had, I think, within the bounds of the you know, human frailty and difficulty, a very good marriage. Um, my mother got sick when she was young and my father took care of her like, devotedly. Um, and I got married to somebody, a wonderful, truly wonderful human being, uh, but from whom I was very different. Uh, and I think going to a synagogue exacerbated the difficulties and tensions that we felt already. Um, and uh, probably would have gotten divorced before had I not been at a synagogue. We can talk about that, the stigma mm. of being at a synagogue. Um, but as anyone who knows us knows, um, we have never stopped being each other's best friends, like not for a day. So we talk every single day. Uh, mm. We're always in communication. Um, and that's just because we recognized at a certain point, our daughter, in fact, calls us a reconfigured family. Um, we recognized at a certain point that if we were going to both live the life we wanted to live, there was no possibility to do that while being with the other person. I wanted to travel. She did really not. She had a lot of problems with traveling. Um, as, as my career got bigger in the world, it was harder for her because really she could live, you know, in a village with a horse and, uh, and, and a general store. Um, and, and many things like that, but yet we love and respect each other. And so um, in that sense, what we discovered was that the, part of the key to an amicable divorce is we, I knew better, but she knew somewhat a wonderful divorce attorney in the synagogue. And we went to her and we said, mm. make it fair, whatever you think is fair, and because she was a woman, we did not think that she would be unsympathetic. Sure. Whatever you think is fair, that's what we'll sign. And she said, no, no, no. And we said, no, really, you don't really, whatever you think is fair, we will sign. Mm -hmm. And she divided it up and we signed it. And that was that. Um, so wow. I, have a, I have an unusual divorce story, but I have seen other divorces that were not quite so frictionless. Yeah, no, there, uh, and certainly in many of the conversations we've had, uh, I think as a divorce coach and as a rabbi with uh, people who have gone through divorce, certainly my own, and talking with Chev on this podcast, yes, uh, your uh, circumstance is somewhat unique uh, and probably a reflection of the health of your marriage when it was together in and of itself, right? Um, and that's probably what's allowed for such amicability. Uh, I actually remember when your divorce was announced. Uh, I was at a dog park in Los Angeles. I was living at the American Jewish University at the time, it's, but I took it's my... as traumatic as as that's how... Like, where were you when you heard the news? <laughs> that's how wired it is into my brain, right? Um, so I was at a dog park in Los Angeles, and there was a woman who sat down there, um, and we were just getting to know one another. This was an older woman, uh, and she talked about if I had ever been to Sinai Temple, and she said that Rabbi Wolpe was getting a divorce. And I said, how do you know that? And she said, well, he sent a letter out to the congregation to let everyone know. Right. Um, 
And I was just, so that's, yeah. I was going to say that's part of that. That's part of the, the reality of being a public person is you can't just get a divorce. You have to say, by the way, everybody and their brother and sister and cousin, I'm getting a divorce. Um, but I have to say, I, I, I mean, I have no idea. I have some idea what people said behind our backs. But to us, people were very nice with one major exception, mm. which is, and this will not be a surprise to you or to your listeners, people feel like they have to choose sides. And because I was still the rabbi, they chose my side. And, and I watched in pain, I even said it to the congregation, but I watched in pain how um, immediately Eileen went from being somebody that everyone welcomed to someone that everybody was uncomfortable with. Mm. And it didn't matter that she would still come to synagogue or we would walk into events together or we showed people that we were fine with each other. It didn't matter. There has to be someone to blame. Don't want to blame the rabbi. So obviously she was at fault. Um, and, and I think that that was and in some ways remains very difficult and very unfair. Were you able to address that or rectify that in any way? Not really, no. Um, and, and there are a lot of reasons why that's so. And also, I think part of it was what I said, which is being part of a big community and, you know, where you have to dress up for fancy occasions and go, and that wasn't her personality to start off with. So I think people felt, except for people who wanted to get to know her as an authentic person, people who wanted her to be a role, well, she wasn't that role. So they were happy to move past that role. But uh, it's, it is an unfortunate reality that divorce splits friends just as it splits families. Yeah. And so while it seems like you have the fairy tale divorce, uh, and I imagine it's still a painful process. And having read your ex-wife's letter, which is a beautiful right. letter, and maybe we'll even post it um, yeah. on our social media. So, yeah absolutely worth it. Please do. Right. Um, I'm sure it was still a painful experience for you. Yes, and it was. I, yes. Oh, I, I'm, I'm glad you said that, Chev. I appreciate that. Um, I don't mean for a second to suggest that this was not a painful experience. Right. It was a very painful experience. It was painful, first of all, because we had to tell our daughter, who was at the time 14 years old. And while she was not surprised, she was still hurt. Um, I remember actually uh, about a year later, driving her home from school, and she said, uh, one of her friends had asked her if we we're going to get back together, and she said no. And I said, I think you're right, sweetheart, but why did you say that? And she said, because it isn't like you fought, it's just like you're very, very different. And so she saw what was the reality wow but at the same time you know nobody likes the foundation of their life to have a crack um so that was painful and then i was aware of the fact that there i was still i do weddings um i talk about marriage i tell people which is true that i believe in marriage and i think it's a beautiful wonderful thing and i'm supposed to be the exemplar of that and guess what yeah. i all of a sudden wasn't and that for the, especially for the part of me that went into this 
to promote Jewish life and family and this and that and all the other things. That was not easy. I, I know. Have well, first of all, I just want to say thank God we have Sheva to ask the compassionate questions because without her, without oh, I'm saving my hard hitter ones. Don't worry, <laughs> warming them up. But but in terms of you know what you just said resonated with me in doing the weddings. That was something that was particularly difficult for me at the beginning of the divorce was doing weddings uh, and standing there and watching the groom walk down and think about maybe the opportunities that I had missed and certainly the opportunities that you know he will hopefully not miss as well. Um, and then also thinking about, man, if you do a destination wedding, you better make this thing work or else you're dragging everyone out to Joshua Tree for no reason. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know? um, but uh, it, yeah, it, it's difficult in the clergy position. I hear what you're saying as well as it being difficult for Eileen um, and how the stigma just naturally attracted itself to her right. and you were somewhat Teflon to it. Right. There was a... Um... I won't identify the person, but there was the wife of a very well-known actor in LA. Um, and, and let us just say that this actor had something, had something of a reputation for not always being the most devout, devoted mm -hmm. husband. Anyway, the wife said to Eileen, don't divorce him. And she said, why? And, and was told, because the day after the divorce, you won't be Mrs. Wolpe anymore, but he'll still be Rabbi Wolpe. Yeah. And she was spot on, spot on. It said something, of course, about her own marriage, but that's but that's a separate question. But she diagnosed the reality, which is if you have one member of a couple that is the public member, then that person is the person that people are going to say, well, I'll stick, I'll stick with that one. Um, and and then and the other reality being, of course, as you say, that um, it impugns your credibility when you stand up for a system of values and then it doesn't play out in your life. Right. So, yeah. So I have, I have a question that feel free to answer at whatever level of spectrum of personal information you're willing to share. But again, because your situation is so unique and mm -hmm. I, I really what you said about um, feeling the need to blame somebody. Somebody needs to be right. guilty. Somebody needs to be, it, it doesn't just happen with the people outside of the divorce, but usually right. within the divorce, there's this need to justify breaking apart a marriage. You know, feeling unhappy or unfulfilled usually doesn't feel like a good enough excuse for a lot of people. So they demonize or it has to get to a point where it's so bad. And I'm really curious. And I, I, get questioned all the time, both in my personal life, people who are friends or clients, how do, how will I know when, when is enough enough? How, when am I free? This, this search for permission to get divorced or give up trying. And so how did you know, because you love her, she's, you see her as a right. wonderful person. At what point did you give yourself permission that this is okay? And this reason is good enough for me. Um, I think that it had to do in part with um, the recognition that this was steady state. Like what happened was we had been living in on the East Coast. We moved to the synagogue six months after we moved, um, moved my, uh, my ex got cancer. Uh, Eileen got cancer, so we could only have one child. Um, a few years later, I got cancer. Um, 
And those life events, I think, both led us to recognize that this was this was going to be it and this was going to be our life and the only way that we had the possibility of living differently was with divorce um and so i think that the, there was no there was no there's no single answer to when do you know you're ready um especially if you're lucky enough to make the decision mutually you have to say look we have to do this otherwise in 20 years we're going to be in exactly the same position that we are now it's not like anything about this is changing but i have there are these difficult personal boundary questions that people come and ask you all the time um like someone will say you know i really like this guy um he's a wonderful guy i'm not thrilled with the way he is but he's a wonderful guy and i'm getting older should i marry him or should i not marry him and take the chance that i'll never find anyone and the answer to that is there's no good answer to that um and the same thing here it's not unless there is a huge precipitating event, okay? You found out that your husband, you know, had an affair, embezzled all the money, I don't know, did something. They, is, is, that's not really his name, has a second family in Iowa. Unless there's a big thing, it's very hard to say, this is when you know, um, because it's so contextual and so dependent on the family. Speaking of the idea of family, I'm sure you know, growing up in a household with a rabbi as a father, right, and being in a rabbinic community and hearing the messages that we share in terms of what it means to live a Jewish lifestyle, the idea of getting married and having a family is central to that. It's almost as if you don't do that, then you're non-existent to the community or you have no value, right, which makes what divorce is so difficult for a lot of people. And I think you were alluding to that in some way about not getting divorced while you were in you know, while you were in the pulpit and how maybe you would have had you not. I'm curious to know what you wanted to say about that. But also, what is the message that we're sending to our people, which which is in some ways, I think, backwards, right? It seems to me that Judaism is invested in the individual and in reaching their own personal, individual highest potential, right? Not about forming a family, right? And I would think that like if forming a family is part of what you want to do to reach that potential, then great. But what kind of message um, are we sending to people that locks them into a circumstance that may not be healthy for them? Well, I'll, I'll push back a little bit. I understand what you're saying, but I would also say that in a society where that is the message that everyone gives, America's message is reach your highest potential, follow your bliss, be an individual. Sure. Sure. Judaism is a little countercultural. Judaism says actually the community matters um, and, and having a family matters and the first the first commandment is brew or voo, be fruitful and multiply. So you could make a case, um, and I think it would be a good one, that in fact, Judaism puts the personal satisfaction not as the highest ideal, but the communal thriving as the highest ideal. And sometimes that requires you to supplement your personal satisfaction. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that makes this tougher if you see that side of it. Um, so I if i um if i had spent my rabbinate telling people you know do what you want that makes you happy i would have had an easier time speaking to them after the divorce but i also said to them you know sometimes we have to do what we believe is best for other people even though that may not always be best for us which i do believe and i think 
you believe as well, it's just, again, a question of where the boundary is and how unhappy and how much good are you doing? Um, I always, I, one of the things, I don't know how you guys feel about this. One of the things I have a hard time sometimes wrapping my head around is when people say, look, it's better that, uh, that people should be in an unhappy mm. marriage with kids uh, intact right. than to be divorced or the other way around. Right. The truth is, I don't know the answer to that. And I've heard testimony from children both ways. Yes, my parents were unhappy, but I'm glad they stayed together. Or my parents were so unhappy, I wish they'd gotten divorced. Um, and so, so many of the things that we're discussing don't have the kind of clear-cut answers that we wish they did. Absolutely. And that's one of the things in Eileen's letter that I so believe yeah. in is that divorce is not a magic escape button. It isn't an eject to the problems right. in your life. And so often people think, oh, just get to that divorce and everything will get yeah. better. Um, and so often it isn't the source of the unhappiness. And, that and for those who haven't read it, that letter is titled Divorce is a Death. Yes. And what happened was that friend of hers had written her and was contemplating divorce. And she wrote her and said, don't do it. Um, and uh, And her feeling was, if the person still does it, I mean, we discussed this, then they had to do it. But the right counsel is don't do it because you should only do it if you really have to. And don't assume, as you said, that it's going to magically make all your problems go away. In fact, you're, it's a death and there's mourning and there's pain and there's grief. And, and just like a real death, the divorce never goes away. It never really goes away. It's always there. It's part of your now life DNA. Did that friend get divorced or not? That is a good question. I'll have to ask her. Have <laughs> we to need the follow-up. I, I don't remember who wrote. I think not, but I'm not sure. I, I promise <laughs> we I will We need the 10-year follow-up. What was the right I will, choice? <laughs> I will email you after, afterwards and... and uh, and let you know. <laughs> I appreciate the counterpoint that you brought about the significance of family and marriage as being a value in the Jewish community, right? As being a way that we contribute back to the larger community. Um, and so I, I do appreciate that. I, I wonder if though, that there's also something to be said because we have talked about the magnitude of divorce and the difficulty about it, particularly from the, the ex's perspective, right? Um, and how unfair that was to Eileen to be treated that way by the community. Um, and yet in some ways, I've discovered this, and I think a lot of other people have in that, you know, this is also an opportunity for great meaning, right, and depth. You know, this is a difficult journey that offers grief and mourning and pain along with it, but, right, and it's just as, as circuitous as the route our ancestors took through the desert, right? And that brought a whole new generation, a whole new identity of who they needed to be before entering the promised land. So maybe there is something, though, beautiful to say about this process. It's part of our history ever since, I mean, it's mentioned in the Torah, right? The opportunity to get divorced. It's not like it's a new concept to that. Right. So no, I, I actually, okay. So now, now we shift to the, to the second half of the discussion, which is, yeah. I was very grateful for the reality that I could do that. And, and if you say to me, and I think if you say to Eileen, do you regret getting divorced? No, I don't, I don't, I mean, there are moments when I say to myself, geez, you know, this is uh, when I see an, a, another intact family, I say, I wish I had that. I miss that or so on. But overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, I feel like my life has been um, 
much more my life and much improved and I'm able to do things I never could do. And uh, I don't regret it. And I think that Eileen feels the same way. Um, and there is something about it that is potentially liberating. Um, but there is like all such things, there's a big cost and you have to decide whether in the long run uh, the cost will be. And the other, the other part of this, which we're not talking about explicitly, but is really important is, do you find a person after the divorce yeah. to share your life with that you think is in some way better suited to you than before? And for a lot of people, not for everyone, but for a lot of people, that is the key question. They divorce so they can find someone. And if they do, right. good. And if they don't, not so good. And that doesn't have to be the purpose of it. In fact, that's what Eileen argues against, right? You don't divorce just to find right. something else. Right. Yeah. But uh, but the lot, a lot of it, again, is contingency. If it happens this right. way, it turns out to be great. If it doesn't, just like just like dating before you get divorced. Right. Um, when, when I don't know how many times in my office I have told people, yeah, but it only has to be one person. I can't meet anyone. Everybody I meet is, and I say, yeah, but if you just meet that one person, um, but nobody is guaranteed. And, and I think, although this is a separate conversation, the way that people meet now makes it both e easier and harder. It's very difficult with the apps. Absolutely. Yep. There's no question about it. And people don't, that's, need that's it. something, that's something that I only know secondhand because you don't need to nobody, be there. Nobody wants to see their rabbi. Exactly. <laughs> I, I never went, I the never other... went dating app right the only reason why i'm on the app is because i don't work in the pulpit that's what makes exactly. it possible Hi there. My I, I struggle Thanks. as a therapist thinking I'm people sure. are going to see me but yeah. i imagine as a rabbi it's a whole different story oh, yeah. 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 my interests are torah and i mean really right yeah not, hey we know. have an app idea a dating app for rabbis <laughs> rabbi dating. Wait, wait, wait. we have to oh, call wait. your mother oh. in for this one rabbis and therapists oh. <laughs> i think you should do it right I can't begin to they tell you it, how many therapists counselor. I meet. Call it counselor, and then it can be rabbis, therapists, oh, there you go. coaches, clergy. Beautiful. Sounds Beautiful. perfect. Yeah. Now go go and monetize. Monetize. Amen. It started here. Yeah. <laughs> this is the Sinai for that. That's wonderful. I, I don't want to pry, but I imagine it's difficult dating as a rabbi in your position. Um, it is. It's the honest answer, as opposed to the dishonest one that I right. would. Otherwise, share that with us. The honest answer is it's easy and it's hard. Yeah. Um, I meet a lot of people. Very few people that I meet know me or meet yeah. me. They meet Rabbi Wolpe, and it's and it is extraordinarily. I think the people don't even know themselves how much they have planted assumptions about who a rabbi is. Um, and and I once I once said to uh, to um another rabbi actually which is telling i said someone is not your friend as a rabbi if you can't tell them a dirty joke yeah, <laughs> and even though yeah. like it's not yeah. like i go around to my friends and tell them dirty jokes right. but the point is if that's doesn't feel like this person should do that then you know that you're seeing them more as a role than as a person right. and and that's very difficult um to get past
And I don't think you want to be, you know, known as Rabbi Wolpe's friend if he tells you a dirty joke either. Right, exactly. Well, I mean, the reason I give that example is because I remember my father, who was a rabbi in Philadelphia, um, that told me once he was out on the golf course with a, with a, someone and they said, oh, Rabbi, if you weren't here, could I tell right. you a joke? And, and, that, and that was exactly the point, is that the vast majority of people that I know, even those that I'm close with, I'm close with as Rabbi Wolpe, even if they don't, even if they call me David, I'm still close with him on some level as Rabbi Wolpe. And that's not someone you want to date. Right. I I have a question. Unless you have a lot of rabbinic questions and then it's very convenient. Then it could be out. Yes, exactly. Maybe she just missed your Parsha class. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) But, but you do meet a lot of people. So there is that, but it's, you know, it's tricky. It is tricky. Um, yeah. I, I have a question about the professional side. Sheva, did you want to ask uh, another question at all? About the dating? No, you go ahead. Let's move to professionalism. <laughs> Let's do that. Um, it, it seems like, and, and again, Eileen addresses it in the article about um, the leprosy that one feels going through divorce, right? And the social stigmas that arise as you know this event takes place. Yeah. Um, why is it, do you think, though, that our community has such a poor structure for responding to divorce? We have the get ceremony, which is somewhat impersonal, right, and mechanical, but we don't really have anything else than that, right? We have to reinvent the rituals. A long time ago, uh, Harold Schulrich, um, who was a rabbi in, in Los Angeles, brilliant, extraordinarily accomplished rabbi, wrote an article called Rightless Passages and Passageless Rites. And, and part of his point was that the, the significant moments of someone's life, like divorce, we have um, their passageless rights. They're, we have a right for divorce, but it doesn't give you any sense of, you know, depth or passage or so on. It really doesn't. We do not have a good structure around divorce. Um, we don't have a good structure around a lot of things. I mean, there are a lot of very significant moments in in human life that Jewish ritual doesn't really mark. Like, for example. I've heard from parents how, like being a grandparent or being an empty nester or, or um, really uh, leaving for college or, I mean, there are a lot or of losing a job, <laughs> right? Or something like that. Right. Your first job. Right. Um, and so divorce, you're right. We do not. And, and, and what happens, of course, is that the, um, the communities of people who are divorced have a really hard time feeling as though they're fully um, validated members of the Jewish community. And that's hard. That is hard. Have you noticed an increase of divorces within your community? Um, I think, you know, I would say there've always, there've always been, there are more now part of my community I have a large uh, segment of my community that came from Iran. And as a result, they're socially fairly conservative. And so the divorce rate is lower there, but they're now in America. And so the divorce rate is climbing. Um, and, you know, they, when, I, when I bury grandparents, you discover these people met when they were 12 or 13, got married at 15 or 16, and have been together for 70 years. Um, and and that is not very common <laughs> in, in America um, anymore. So 
Yeah, it is. I mean, it's climbing, it's changing. It's certainly more accepted than it was by a, by a great deal. Um, but it's still, look, it, there's a divorce is a failure. It is a failure. We've talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's no other way to, right. this is not what you wanted. This is not what you planned on. And so, and in fact, one of the things that, that I'm sure you've also talked about at some point is if you plan for failure, that has its own stigma, by which I mean, if you get a prenup, that has its own stigma. And I've seen marriages fall apart over the prenup because one party thinks, yeah, you're planning, you're planning for the divorce. We haven't gotten married yet. So tricky requires more than one podcast. I think we would need at least two, at least two to answer all the questions. Well, let me ask you just one more then, you know, you talked about people being in your office and not being able to tell them if this is the one that's a wise thing to do. The idea of the one is going out of style too. I think you just hear it more and more in the dating communities, how it's a ridiculous notion, but if someone were to get married, right, come to you and say, why should we get married? Right. And as I think about that now, right. right. And planning my own life, right. Surely I'm dating. Right. And I want to meet someone and to be in a relationship, but why would I want to get married again? If part of the road leads to a really difficult path. Right. So what I often say to couples, um, first I'll, I'll, I'll start with to be able to share your life with someone you love is for most people, I won't say for everyone because it's not true for everyone. But for most people, that's the highest expression of, of human felicity, of like happiness, of joy, um, which doesn't mean that it's continually joyful. It isn't. But at the end of the road, to be able to look back and see that most people I have found, since I do a lot of funerals, most people I found are very grateful that they found somebody that they could share all the vicissitudes of life with. The thing that I say very often to, to couples when they say, why do we need to get married? We love each other. We live together is society sees you differently when you're married. If you say this is my partner, I've lived with her for 30 years, it's not the same as saying this is my wife. It just isn't. And so if you want people to see you as committed, then you have to be committed. Um, and and partner means even in, even though in, in California law, this isn't true, but partner means, yeah, maybe you were together for 30 years, but tomorrow you could walk out the door. And so the divorce in that sense is also really important because it says, this is what you must do if you want to dissolve a marriage. And therefore it says you went into this with the idea that you were going to stay. So I think that marriage, I, I, look, I, I mean, I am, I am pro-marriage, uh, sure. despite my own experience. My question is, while it seems you did so many things right and admirably in your divorce, is there anything you wish you would have done differently? Oh, I'm sure there are a hundred things uh, I wish I had done differently. Um, in the divorce or in the marriage? I'll take Ooh. one of each, please. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> or the door where Carol is now standing. Um, That's what you get for talking to so, a therapist. Um, I wish I had known better um, what 
I wish I, not I had known better. And instead, I will say, I wish I had paid closer attention to what it is we both were saying we wanted. I think that that, I, it's, not, it's not like someone hid who they were or what they wanted. But I think we just thought, no, we'll, we'll work that out. Um, and, and the enormous human ability to deny and deflect that which is right in front of you should never, <laughs> never be diminished. Um, and, uh, and in the divorce itself, um, there are specific things probably that I would have changed, but I think, uh, I think by and large, given, given like the frailty of human nature and the difficulties of being a person, um, we did it pretty well. We did it pretty well. Is there specific, and this will be the last one, specific sure. advice you would give to somebody going through a divorce or is there your go-to advice? Going through a divorce? I would say, first of all, um, I mean, first and most important, do not use your kids. Don't, don't do it. Um, even if they forgive you one day, you will have done them tremendous damage. And, and it's not reparable damage to have, to be used as weapons by your own parents. Um, and second, as angry and as hurt as you may be, remember that this was someone that you loved and with whom perhaps you have children. And so try not to let those feelings as powerful as they are dominate you, not only for the other person's sake, but for your own sake. Because, you know, to, I mean, this has been quoted in many people's names, so I don't know who first said it, but to bear a grudge is like drinking rat poison in the hope someone else will die. And, and it's the same thing here. Um, the best thing you can do is to live your life as richly as you can and not worry if the other person is having a good time. Um, I'm not suggesting that's easy to do, but I think that it's the only way that you can come out of this intact is to actually be forgiving both of yourself and of the other. Um, and and that can be that can be hard. Wow. Well, so well absolutely. So well said. Uh, Rabbi Wolby, I believe you're retiring soon. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, as a single man, I imagine you're going to go out there and travel the world. Go the apps. Yeah. You got all this free time now. <laughs> no, I'll yeah. still I'll still be doing some rabbi stuff. I think I think I'll still stay off the app. So uh, there's bound to be a woman who's going to say, I remember what you said in that sermon on Yom Kippur. Um, exactly. So, uh, Rabbi Wolpe, is there any other, um, is there any way for people to get in touch with you if you want them to get in sure, touch? Sure, absolutely. I, I feel free to get in touch with me. I'm more than happy to respond. The easiest way is, uh, I mean, I have a Facebook and a Twitter. You can message me there and I'll send you my email because I do better with email than I do with those messages. But it's dwolpe at sinaitemple.org, which is too long for someone to write down, but that, that is my email address. It's my first initial D and then Wolpe, and then it's at sinaitemple.org. A funny thing actually is that I would have said I have an Instagram, but it got hacked. Oh. So I got back on and I just closed it down. And I have to tell you, it was a tremendous relief. 
<laughs> it was like <laughs> so much easier not to um but you seem to uh, do things so easily getting off social media getting out of marriage all this yeah, right, exactly. just kind of easy for you piece of cake i'm gonna get <laughs> off i'm gonna get off this podcast just like that just like that <laughs> Me totally, too. Totally <laughs> with that in mind, friends, if you want to follow <laughs> us on social media, find us at the Jewish Divorce Project on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, and you can also reach out to us at the Jewish Divorce Project at gmail.com uh, with any questions or if you have a story you want to share and potentially be a guest. Uh, Rabbi and Wolpe, happy Hanukkah. And happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Of course. Hanukkah. Happy happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Uh, yes. Rabbi Wolpe, thank you so much for your time thank and you. energy and your wisdom. Uh, we're so grateful for it. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah, everyone. Mm -hmm.